Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're going to be talking about The Art of Theft by Sherry Thomas. So this is the fourth book in the Lady Sherlock series. It and is, it was just released. So it's both our new release and our romance adjacent yeah. this month. So Which we, we already have had a romance adjacent and a new release this month. So this is just... We're just doubling down. We just have to... We have to talk about it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and I finished this book about two hours ago. So I am not going to be sane or rational. Like I have not organized my thoughts. I don't even know if I've had all my thoughts yet. This book is so good, guys. So we're gonna see where it goes. But as usual with these, tread carefully going forward. We are going to spoil the heck out of the first three books in this series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then something else to know is these books are just very closely intertwined. Mm -hmm. The ending of the first one led directly into the beginning of the second one, the ending of the second one. There was a cliffhanger for the third one, the ending of... Anyway, so just keep that in mind. If you haven't read the first, second or third books, you probably should not listen to this. Unless you just don't care about spoilers and just want to hear us talk because slash, honestly, I, I wouldn't judge you for that. Squeal. So um, the third book in the series, the one immediately preceding this one is Hollow of Fear. And that book was so amazing. But is just nothing but a giant spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. We, we could not talk about that book very much in our last review. Which was very physically difficult. Yeah, it was really it was really tough. But yeah, so this one just came out. Meg actually went to a book signing with I, Sherry Thomas for I the release. I did. So last Friday, October twenty fifth, I went to it was her marketing tour. So the book the book tour, and she was there. Uh, the entire conversation was recorded for the podcast of Smart Bitches Trashy Books. So if you're interested in hearing that, tune into them. It was a really great interview. Lots of really cool behind the scenes stuff. She did. She read about 10 lines of the book, um, which was amazing. Anyway, Sherry Thomas is amazing. She's so super cool. Um, and the books are so good, too. So, I think we both had a lot of apprehension that Hollow of Fear was going to force a regression yes. in the subsequent books in the series. And while... I do have some criticisms of this one that I didn't of Hollow of Fear. The things I was worried about in terms of the character development, I should not have been worried. Yeah, she is she is such a deft hand. Yes. So if you if you dear listener like us were worried about a Mass Effect Andromeda situation, avoid it completely. Yeah. <laughs> so um, without further ado, spoilers from this moment on for Hollow of Fear and the preceding books. Yeah. So. We will try not to spoil this this fourth book at least not very seriously like yeah. our usual rules apply like basic premise of plot individual maybe funny moments we might touch on but we'll try to stay clear of what happens yeah okay um, so hollow of fear well w let's let's read the book jacket for this one too. oh fine <laughs> we will look we have to okay all right as Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, Charlotte Holmes has solved murders and found missing individuals, but she has never stolen a priceless artwork, or rather made away with the secrets hidden behind a much coveted canvas. But Mrs. Watson is desperate to help her old friend recover those secrets, and Charlotte finds herself involved in a fever-paced scheme to infiltrate a glamorous yuletide ball where the painting is one handshake away from being sold and the secrets of a bare breath from exposure. Her dear friend, Lord Ingram, her sister, Livia, Livia's admirer, Stephen Marbleton, everyone pitches in to help, and everyone has a grand time. 
but nothing about this adventure is what it seems, and disaster is biding time on the grounds of a glittering French chateau, waiting only for Charlotte to make a single mistake. So I actually think this book jacket is really good. Yep. Uh, when I so here's the here is the thing, guys. When you read the other book jackets, they are so full of spoilers that if you by mistake read the book jacket for the third book before you've read the second book, it's like so spoiled. Yes. Um, but which this I, one I did, as we've mentioned, which both of, yeah yeah this happened to both of us. Uh, this one, I, so honestly, I was like kind of hoping for a, like a more in depth book jacket on this and I kept reading it and like hoping it would be updated but this is a very good book jacket and it's it avoids that problem it avoids that problem happily or sadly depending on your perspective uh, but this it does describe the book very well so okay now hollow fear okay hollow fear so there's a couple of different things with this one we just need to touch on one um, Char the big mystery is that a woman has been found dead on Lord Ingram's property, believed to be his wife. Right. And so Charlotte goes to help clear his good name. Yes. In the course of the investigations, they find out that his wife is not dead. That his wife is not dead. That it was her twin sister. Right. Who was killed. They um, figure out that the mastermind behind this incident was not Moriarty directly but rather Bancroft yeah. who had turned traitor to the crown. Yep. So huge twist. Huge twist. And this is this is kept from you as the reader until the very, very end. As is something else of particular interest to us <laughs> and this podcast. And that is um Charlotte and Ingram for the flimsiest possible reasons decide clearing his name requires them and tricking Bancroft so he doesn't realize that they're onto him means that they have to fuck. They have to fake an affair, but but since Bancroft is so smart, smart they can't fake it. They, they have, have to, to do really it for do real. It. Twice. Twice. Two different occasions. So good. It is not explicit. No, but it's perfect. It's perfect. And there's also several moments in it where like Ingram is forced to admit his feelings for Charlotte in a police context. Oh my God. Oh my God, Lane. It, it, look, we've talked about carriage scenes before. We talk about carriage scenes actually a lot on this podcast. It really is a sub theme. And this carriage scene is amazing. You did touch on it. Oh my in our God. I know I did, review. but it's, it's like, it's so good. It's so good. So good. But so you've got anyway. leading into this book, Bancroft, no longer working for the crown. Cause he was a double agent. Yeah. Lady Ingram alive on the run and has turned on Moriarty cause she's pissed at his involvement in her sister's yes. death. And so when this book opens, Ingram is awaiting his divorce. Yes. So Ingram's waiting on his divorce. Charlotte and Ingram had this affair, but they only entered into it on the pretext that the second they didn't need to be doing it for the investigation anymore, they would end it because... Because Ingram can't handle it. Right, that like, he's not like, emotionally equipped. Right, right. He's not emotionally able to handle an affair with, with Charlotte. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. So um, additionally, Treadles was one of the people out there investigating yes. 
Lord Ingram, and so Charlotte had to fool him too. Yes, but Treadles had this. Uh, I loved Treadles's evolution in, in Hollow of yes. Fear. So it was really great. He had to confront a lot of his own prejudices and a lot of his own received ideas, and he came out the other end a better man. Right, and Watson and Olivia, while both present, were less factors. Yes. I mean, Hollow of Fear is the book of Ingram and Charlotte's love. Yeah, it is. When Ingram first sees her just like in disguise as a pudgy man, mm-hmm. and like the things it makes him feel for her, uh-huh. I just... Oh my beast! Oh my! When he when they flash back to the night he came over to sleep with her for the first time, yeah. Like I said, it was not graphic in the slightest. We well, were just sitting here with like big grins on our Stupid faces, miles. guys. Okay, so so, good. <laughs> so that's sort of oh, and uh, Stephen Marbleton, mm-hmm. who'd been pursuing Livia most actively in book two. Most actively in book two, he didn't really appear in book three. He's sending letters and gifts yeah. throughout book three. So he well, he appeared at the in the final chapter, the yes. epilogue of book three. Yes, uh, Livia comes home to find she has a gentleman caller. And it is Stephen Marbleton. And reminder, dear reader, Stephen Marbleton and his family are on the run from Moriarty. Right, because his, because mother, his mother is Moriarty's ex- second, second well, dead, dead wife. wife. But not dead. <laughs> right. So they're on the run from him, and Stephen is suspected to be Moriarty's biological son. Right. So all of that's sort of where we're at at the beginning <sighs> of this one. So to make up for the sort of lesser time spent with Mrs. Watson and Livia in book three, they're sort of the focal points of this one. Yeah, they're the main... So Mrs. Watson and one of her previous relationships is the catalyst for this book. Yes, sort of. The woman comes to Sherlock for assistance, not knowing of Sherlock's association with Mrs. Watson. Right, but she does go to Watson afterwards as well. all intertwined. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Marbleton has kind of, without thinking it through decided to press his suit on Livia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's very cute. It's so cute. Livia is also, in the course of this one, um, working on completing the first Sherlock Holmes book. Yes, A Study in Scarlet. Which is something we always... Like, Livia as the author, Livia as Arthur Conan Doyle, yeah. is something I've really enjoyed watching start, and exactly. I'm really excited to love see it. how it continues. I love it. Yes, yes. Um, I think it's so good. But so the, it's, it's such a great element of these books. Yes. And so that's really coming to a head in this one. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of romantic relationships in this book, yeah. which I think are, I think in the context of our podcast are worth touching on. Yes. So one of them is between Watson and the, the person who hires Sherlock, Sherlock um, slash Charlotte yes. to recover this painting. Yes. And I am a little bit ambivalent about this relationship and I'm not sure why. I have a couple of thoughts. Okay. The first is the character of Debbie isn't super explored. She doesn't actually have very much dialogue. Maybe that's um, it for me. And the limited dialogue she does have serves in this per- context more to educate Mrs. Watson yeah. on British Indian relations in the period. Right. I think it was a valuable perspective. I do too. For all that the women had a history that was alluded to and you got why their present interactions would be tense. I ultimately 
I didn't think you were supposed to be into them as a couple now. Like, clearly yeah. they both moved on. They've both moved on. They have wonderful, good and bad memories of their previous relationships. And, or, and their subsequent relationships, too. Right. So I, it's not like they've been pining for each other. I wasn't... I think the difference is, and this was intentional on Cherry Thomas's part, you weren't rooting for them to get back together. No, no. And no. I think that might have something to do with your ambivalence. Maybe like, that was it. It wasn't being crafted as a relationship where yeah. you were supposed supposed to be hoping that yeah. they'd figure it out. Well, and it's not uh, uh, it's not because it was a queer relationship. So that that didn't bother me. I think it was me seeing the two characters and seeing them be together. There I wasn't was, any chemistry. Right. There yeah. Was there you go. Maybe there was that was tension. It. There was them trying to like work through kind of the shitty way they'd been forced to leave things. Right. But Mrs. Watson is a recent widow of a man she was very much in, in love, love with, with. Yeah. and is like enjoying the hell out of being this society lady who's well liked and popular and she's enjoying it. Yeah. And her former lover, as you've come to find out, has definitively moved on. Yeah. And there was some bad, like you wanted them to get back to a place where they'd cleared the air. Not at no point was I sitting there going, make out, make out. No, make out. not at and all. I don't think I was supposed to be. Yeah. So I mean, a, maybe you were supposed to feel a, a bit ambivalent about the relationship because as you, as you find out through, through the book, they, they were on, on unequal grounds the entire time. Yeah. You know, Watson was much more innocent and she realizes in this later interaction with Debbie that she, she never, that the relationship that she remembers and has perhaps idolized in her mind is, has never been what she really thought it was. Yes. So maybe that was and that's kind part of the issue for me. Educate. It's not just yeah. educating about British Indian relations. It's educating in the, like how that affected their relationship back then. Yeah. Like it was sort of about learning about the naivety of youth more than a romantic thing. Right. So it wasn't like disinterested in their interactions, but Debbie was barely a character. Yeah, yes. And and she didn't, I mean, she never explains herself either, which is, is part of her character, but definitely took a little bit away f it from me. Yeah, from... Take from her as a character. Yeah, takeaway is sort of the wrong word for me. It, it's just in the, I don't think it was meant to be a romantic pairing. Sure. In an yeah. active way. Yeah. Okay, Livia and Steven. I really enjoyed their interactions with each other. Yeah. So one of the things I really, so one of the things I liked a lot is how, so I don't think relationships are there to save you. So I don't think you're going to get saved by a romantic relationship, but I do think that you can discover other aspects of yourself mm -hmm. through learning about yourself in a romantic relationship. Right. And I think that Livia is learning about a different, part of herself yes through this new experience yes and i love it i just really liked it a lot i think steven falling so unabashedly for livia and this is definitively a romance novel trope right mm -hmm. like the girl who nobody really sees mm -hmm. this one person sees her and is like holy shit yes like i think that has not saved her, but just the idea that she can be desirable and wanted for being exactly who she is, is something that her parents never let her believe. Yeah. And Charlotte, while Charlotte is a good sister for who Charlotte is. And, and Charlotte certainly loves her for exactly who she is. Charlotte's 
not kind of weird and not really capable of empowering someone right else exactly in yeah. that way yeah and so i think it's been great to see her like herself yeah. more. yes and it was great to see her too so i don't think it's much of a spoiler to say this book is the first one that gets them out of england no, it's not a spoiler. It's in the yeah. It's in the so, book jacket. They go. They go to France in a glittering French chateau. Yes. So the first two books were sort of establishing them in London. The third book, they're obviously at Ash's estate, mm-hmm. and this one kind of takes them all out of England, away from prying eyes, into the French countryside. And I think for Livia, getting to experience the world outside of her parents' house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that long. Just was, and just that on its own. Was super freeing. So it's like, yes, the fact that Steven's around helped facilitate that, but it's only part of her growth. Yeah. Yes. Which I think is perfect. Great. Yeah. You know, it just being just the fact of Steven falling in love with her shouldn't be the only reason why she breaks out of her shell. I think I'm gonna try to say this without spoiling it too much. I'm used to historical romance novels and even historical books where the characters I'm rooting for are on some of the main characters, and so I can sort of count on that them having, if not a makeout or mm-hmm. a hookup or a sex scene, some big romantic moment. Mm-hmm. And Stephen and Livia's courtship is played much more traditionally. Mm-hmm. Like even in the moments where they're alone, they're not becoming overwhelmed with passion or sneaking off to the orangery uh, parlor. Yeah root cellar, wherever else people find in romance novels. Yeah. And that is on some level disappointing because it's book four and I want them to hook up. Yeah. Because that's but, so much to ask. So, and so here's something, this is not a spoiler, at least not for this book. Yeah. But so Livia is 28. Yes. And Stephen is 20. Yes. He's not yet 21. So very, um, very Pride and Prejudice here. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm not yet one in 20, says Stephen. <laughs> but, so, and I, okay. So if you've been listening to this podcast, you know I, Meg, personally have some issues sometimes with these age gap relationships. We both do. And when I say age gap, it's not even a huge gap, but like a 20, if I were reading a book, actually, we'll talk about one soon, but a 28-year-old man and a 20-year-old woman Ah, I don't love it. And it's pretty common in historical romance to, to read that book. I mean, I think Darcy is 28 and Elizabeth is 21. So maybe I, you know, I don't know. But I'm wondering, talking about these books so much is making me try to analyze why it bothers mm-hmm. me and why it doesn't. And I think, at least here, I think I have pinpointed the reason. And it's because Livia, even at 28, is so unworldly. She's never experienced a life outside of her parents' house. So not only is this book her breaking out of her shell, we've already talked about she leaves England, she leaves her parents' house, she gets to get away from all of that and begin experiencing the world. Mm -hmm. And Stephen, even though he's 20 years old and much younger, he's been on the run his entire life. And so he has this experience of the world that Livia just hasn't had. Right. So I think it puts them more on an even setting. Um, And I think that's also why I don't love these age gaps in other historical romances where the man is 28 and the woman is 20 because the man of course has been to Oxford and has been on the town. They're all rakes and they've all had sex with 20 million people. And then the girl is just 
you know, out of her. Well, not only that, you've got the inherent power dynamic of the era where the man controls her access to money and society and it's just so much power put in one person's hands. It feels so quicky. So anyway, this book, the the age gap, the age difference here um, and the the gender difference just made me think of Thief of Shadows, which of course I is one of my my favorites. So before we dive into our bread and butter, aka Ash and Charlotte, I do have one plot thing I want to talk about. So as I mentioned at the end of Hollow of Fear... The Crown Secret Service has mm. sort of been upended yeah. by Bancroft's removal. So now, Ash, who had been an agent for the Crown under the guise of his archaeological expeditions, and you do get a little bit more of his reflecting on that yeah. in this book in a way that, like, personal kink. But um, I was a little bit surprised. So you find out Ash doesn't mention any current plans with the Crown. But you find out his brother Remington is still working for the Crown. And that is like literally the most minor of spoilers because Remington's not even a real character in the book. He is yeah. mentioned in passing. He's, he's mentioned in <laughs> passing in this book and he did appear on the page in Hollow of Fear. Right, but like briefly. Yeah. So it's a, uh, he's still working for the Crown. That's the extent of it. It's, it's not related to the plot. It is not, it is, it spoils nothing. But so I wish there had been a little bit more information about the state of British Secret Service currently because mm. they really don't like think about even or talk about what has replaced yeah. Bancroft they, and who Ash is reporting to and what yeah. the situation is. And without giving away too much about this book, it would definitely have been relevant. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think on both ends, I didn't really have enough of a sense of like who Ash was reporting to. And spoiler alert, Moriarty is involved in this one. And you're getting a little bit more information about his network. But very, very little information in a way that I'm actually officially wanting more and not necessarily in a good way at this point. Like I, I need a little bit more. We're so immersed in the world. We've had four books that I I want to be caught up on how these interpersonal dynamics behind the scenes that would affect the plot are going on. Yeah. I don't know. I, it didn't bother me at all. I I didn't even find myself saying, Oh, I want to know about that. I don't even care. What I really liked was Ash's personal reflection on how he felt about working for the crown. Sure. Which and I, that was great. Oh, I loved it. But that's why I know we're about to talk about this and I don't really, I love this book. Like this is not me with real criticism. It's just, Hey, Livia as a side character, I wanted to get some and Bancroft has been, you know, caught what has happened to this network of spies and secret service. Yeah, sure. All right. So we can talk about Ash and Charlotte Ash now. And Charlotte now. This was maybe better than Hollow of Fear for me between the two of them. I was so shocked, Lane, because I was expecting to be a little bit let down because I knew they were going to... I thought they were going to go back to the way things were and... Oh my gosh, so not disappointed. Well, I thought at the very least, as we talked about, book three is really Ash and Charlotte's book. Yes. With this being Mrs. Watson and Livia's book, I didn't think he would be as involved in the mystery. And it's not a spoiler to say because it was in the book jacket. Like, Ash is part of the cohort going to France with them. Yeah. They are together. He's there. In In France. In France. In the same house. I'm fanning myself. So, like, I really was 
mentally prepared for very little between them in this book. Me too. And they have so many conversations and unlike Hollow of Fear, there's not this moment at the end where everything gets flashback and you get filled in. Like this is all real time. And you, you, so you don't have to reevaluate everything they just said to each other. Right. And so like their conversations that you're getting in real time and their thoughts about one another in real time, like it might have been more explicit. It was so good. There's this one scene where they're practicing Kanda Combat. Yes. And I died. It, it was it was really, really, really good. It was um, sexy as I'll get out, I think is the word so I want. So sexy. It was so romance novel-esque. Yes. In that they see each other in a state of... Uh, deshabille. Yeah, she's wearing men's pants. Yes, and but he he has his shirt sleeves rolled, rolled up. up and his, his collar unbuttoned and they're sweating. And she's, you know, approaching maximum tolerable chins. Yeah. And yet he just thinks that makes her buzz- bosom all the more distracting. Which, I mean, I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so good. So good. Not spoiling everything is taking all my willpower. It's really hard. Um, it's really hard. So the other thing though is, as we mentioned, they had an affair that they then abruptly ended in hollow of fear. Right. And this one, while they're working together on the mystery, it did come close to being the, Oh my God, just talk to each other. It, it came very close to it, but it didn't bother me. Right at the moment I would have been bothered, we got just enough. Yeah. Yes. Like, just enough. Yes. So they, there's an explicit scene. I actually loved this, where Charlotte is thinking about what is different now between her and, and Ingram. Yeah. Because before, there were all these artificial or not, constraints on the relationship. Well, like his wife. Right. <laughs> but I mean, he, right, he was married, um, he had children, and... Still has those. Right, right, right. No, I know, but what I'm saying is, she, even though in the first book, first two books, she said, I will be your mistress, and then, then she was sort of his mistress in the third book, even though she said it, she knew he wouldn't do it. Right. So she felt safe offering. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And then the fact that that gets explicitly pointed out in this book, I just loved it. Because Charlotte, so she is a very smart person, right? She's super smart, super uh, analytical, just amazing, has great memory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She is not good at human interaction. And I don't think she is good at introspection either. And so the fact that she, it takes this entire time for her to be like, Oh, I was offering to be his mistress because I knew he wouldn't accept. Until the moment she knew he would. Exactly. So good. So good. So, so good. good. So good. Oh. So good. <laughs> it, it, was, it was so great. Um, so the, very early in the book, less than 20% in, so mild spoiler, you guys, Ingram's governess. Uh-huh. Ingram has to feel a... So he has fielded many an indecent proposal from Charlotte. From Charlotte. He must now field a decent proposal from his children's governess. And I don't think it's 
it's going to be surprising to anyone listening to know that the biggest mystery of this novel for Meg and I was, Ingram, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? Literally last night at what? 9.30? No, I didn't even get home till 11. So it must have been, it must have been around 11 uh, that I got a text from Lane saying, is he going to marry the governess? <laughs> Meg um, would not tell me. Of course I, I wouldn't tell her. At her. I'm not going to tell you either. Uh, listener, dear listener, we're not going to spoil this. I had several it, heart attacks. It, that's what I'm saying is it, this, Sherry Thomas keeps that tension up the entire book. Yeah. The entire book. I, I was, I was like, what is he going to do? Yeah. Well, and the other thing that's interesting, like to build off of that for all that the last book was Ingram's book. Ingram's greatest amount of personal growth comes in this one. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much, Lane. Oh, the, the last book was him in crisis. How do I deal with this crisis? Right. And this, this book is him thinking, what do I do with my life now that I have all these options and possibilities? My, my future is open now that I'm no longer married to this woman who hates me. Yeah. What do I do with it? And not only that, but like, why am I motivated to do the things I do and be the person I am, both in a personal and a professional context? Yes. There's a, 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 a criticism of colonialism Yes. in this one that I thought was pretty deftly handled. I thought it was really well done. Um, but I did think some characters that maybe previously had demonstrated unquestioning loyalty toward the crown were forced to see the personal side of some of those decisions. Yeah. Um, and Ingram is one of them. And so just not only him reflecting on why he's made the decisions he has with Char Charlotte and with his wife, but also with being a spy. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. That is the thing too. That's the thing about this book is like I said, Ingram, his, his future is now a blank slate. Yeah. You know, not again. Yeah. Not just personally, but you're right. Professionally as well. Yeah. You know, Bancroft is gone. So what do I do? Yeah. What do I want to do? What, so he, he has to reevaluate everything. And the fact that he's got this proposal as well make, is making him think about it. My only actual like catch, yes. Carlisle's name is spelled differently throughout the book. Yeah. And if you were wondering who Carlisle is the way I was, that's Ingram's son. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's spelled with the L-I-S-L-E and sometimes it's L-Y-L-E. Yeah. I mean, I, I did not notice that at all. So <laughs> I did. I was so wrapped up in Ingram's inner life well, that's that his outer life didn't matter. <laughs> it was fucked up on the pages where he was talking to the governess about marriage. Oh, so, the, so it was, it was yeah, a page yeah, yeah. I was paying very yeah. close attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, all in all, honestly, I found the book a bit dissatisfying but in the best possible way. This book is the definition of it leaves you wanting more. Yes, and props to Sherry Thomas because I really do think with Hollow of Fear ending with Ingram's wife on the run but him like having to file for divorce and them starting and ending an affair. Ugh. I was like, we could have gone back to where they were at the beginning where he was like pissed at her for being ruined. Yes. And, and instead we moved just this far forward. Yes. It's not just, it's not just the relationship progression, but it is also just the character development. The characters have, have developed 
in four books. Oh, I am really glad that the Bordello house made a sneak appearance. Oh my God, I love that house. And I love Livia's reaction to it, where she's like, You really the like The walls are orange, house? pink, and green. And Charlotte's like, Yeah, I know, aren't they great? <laughs> <laughs> well, even Charlotte admits that house might be a little much. Yeah. Well, Charlotte's like, This house is great. Slightly too much, and Olivia's like slightly coming from you, right? Okay, <laughs> okay. So yeah, that the House of Horrors continues to make an appearance. I hope they go there forever and ever. I really hope that that's where like Ingram and Charlotte inevitably have their love nest. <laughs> All right, can we speculate for a minute? Of course, we can speculate. Where do you think this is going? I mean, like, is there a happy ending where they're married? I sort of don't there think so. There is definitely a happy ending where they're married. I think so. The kids don't need a mother. No, I know. And Charlotte is not a mean person. No, but she isn't respectable. Ingram doesn't care. Ingram's on the border of respectability himself. Yeah. I, I truly don't think he cares. He has, some, he's, he has enough money that he can ha bring his kids out. I think that, so how old are his kids? Like five and four. Yeah, so just wait 15 years and they can totally get married. Maybe six and five at this point, but yeah. 15 years, happy marriage. Yeah. Like, no, but I, I truly do. I truly do think there's a, a happy marriage for them. They just are going to live in seclusion. Well, I'm sort of wondering if basically he never takes a wife, but they admit what they are to each other and kind I, of continue to be a little independent. Yes, but I just can't see Bancroft, excuse me, Ingram couldn't do that. He couldn't do that. No, I know. But I'm wondering if this growth is him heading toward that rather than them heading toward legitimacy. Basically, I want to know if she can live as Ingram's mistress in the Bordello house. <laughs> That's what you want. That's, That's what, what you want. want. I don't know. I, I see them getting married, but then her living like she's his mistress. Like in a separate house. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like he knows they're married. But the rest of the world... Oh, okay, that I could see. You that see what I, I mean? That I could 100% see. Like, he needs to know they're legitimate right. in his heart. It is right. But he, he doesn't like... care. But society's not the problem. Okay, I can totally see that. Right? See what I mean? Yeah, no, that's... A secret wedding where they don't live like spouses. Yeah. She gets the Bordello house. He gets his own house. He raises his kids. Sees her all the time. And they're like, oh, so you finally took Charlotte as your mistress. And he's like, yes, <laughs> that's what you think. <laughs> By mistress, do you mean wife? Right? <laughs> anyway, guys, read this book. Bye.